that's Snickers, and that's Buttons right there. Buttons is a miniature donkey. Snickers is a miniature horse. Now Barney, Barney is a, a goat. He was supposed to be a pygmy goat, but he's not a pygmy goat. We had two. One was named Andy and one was named Barney because that's his favorite television show, <laughs> the Andy Griffith Show. I'm Mary Ann Hitt, and this is The Land I Trust, stories from the American South about dirty coal, clean energy, and everything in between. In this episode, Generations. My name's Tom Clark. And my name is Sandra Clark. Tom and Sandra Clark retired in Wade, North Carolina, and built their home on land that goes back in Tom's family for generations. This was my grandfather's place, and he farmed this with the help of his family. And we used to come out here as children just about every weekend and stay with him Friday and Saturday. I wasn't born here, but this was like my home. I can step out my back door in the morning, I go out there and feed the Snickers and Buttons, and, uh, and you can smell that tobacco. And you, when you smell that tobacco, if you close your eyes, you can see your, your, your family. They built their home here on the land that Tom's grandfather once farmed sometimes in the nude. You can see your grandfather walking down the field with no clothes on, hitting the irrigation pipes where they got stuck, and all you can see is this white butt and with a hat on. What it was, we were getting potatoes, and we had moved the irrigation pipe that morning. You'd move them from one spot to another so you could get that part of the field watered. And the old-fashioned irrigation pipes, it's sort of like the sprinklers in the yard. It would just squirt out water and go around. Well, they would get stuck. And we looked, and we could see him going over this little rise here. And he had taken his clothes off, put them at the end of the field, and walking down this tobacco row or this row of pipe, the irrigation pipe, he'd never look around and see if anybody was looking. He, oh he didn't care. I mean, he was, just, he was just in his own element. He just didn't want to get, to get his clothes wet. <laughs> That's something I'll never forget. I know. I could understand why. <laughs> but my mom looked up and said, well, that's Daddy. We went right back to picking up potatoes. Now Tom and Sandra are the grandparents, and their hope would be for their granddaughter to live here one day. He wanted family close by. Our little granddaughter, I want to be that kind of part of her. And like the other day, she was back there on the tire swing swinging, and she said, Papa, I, could, I just could stay here forever. And she's uh, 10 years old. 10 years 10 old. years old this year. You know, you, you have dreams for the next generation, and you love them, and you want them to enjoy what you're enjoying right now. But with the pipeline, you can't do that. The Atlantic Coast Pipeline. This proposed pipeline would pump fracked gas through the heart of the American Southeast. Behind it all, Duke Energy and Dominion Resources. I wouldn't want her to live here thinking that the water could cause her to have cancer, or she may go to bed one night and not wake up because it explodes. And it's like, God, if I don't speak, nobody's going to speak about it. People say, well, you're a protest. I am not a protester. I'm a land protector. Because, you know, if somebody doesn't protect the land, then it, it will go, you know. And, and Duke and Dominion knows that there's starting to be a groundswell against this pipeline. What I would say to them is, 
If your dream was for your grandchild to have a home on your property, and that pipeline's going across that piece of property that you will never be able to build a house on, what would you tell your grandchild when that child comes up to you and say, Papa, can I build a house here? And you have to look them in the eye and say, No, sweetheart, you can't build a house here because there's a gas line here. Tom and Sandra aren't so much fighting for themselves as they're fighting for the past and the future. The fight is all tied up in history, memory, legacy, and pride. Land that goes back generations becomes a part of people, almost an extension of their body. When we're little, and to this day I walk around here barefooted, the land, it comes up through the soles of your feet, and it don't stop till it gets to your heart. Columbia, South Carolina, Steve Benjamin also has deep roots. I'm Steve Benjamin. I'm the mayor of the great city of Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, My family is from Orangeburg, South Carolina, just about 45 miles southeast of Columbia. And they did the uh, great migration north, like a lot of African-American families in the 60s, looking for a better life for themselves and their children. I was born and raised there, and I came back to college. And I've been in Columbia for 30 years now. Married a Columbia girl and have two Columbia babies, and it is home, uh, very much home now. Like Tom and Sandra, he was also called to action by thoughts of his family. I wanted to take a more active role in shaping the city in which my children were going to grow up, and I owed it to them uh, that when they were able to make their own decisions about where they would live, to make sure that Columbia would be an option for them. So their dad needed to get active in helping to build that city. And I determined that the only way I could take a, a truly a significant role in making that happen was actually the run for mayor of our city, and I decided to jump in. It's never been lost on me the significance of being the first African-American mayor of our, of our great city. Um, if, if someone were to visit the mayor's office at City Hall, uh, we're surrounded by photographs of, of men and women who, who gave a great deal, uh, some who sacrificed uh, their lives, indeed, to make sure that we all had a chance to participate in this great project, this great American dream, and I don't take that for granted. It helps shape me and define my world view as to what we ought to be doing to make the world better for future generations. And think about this, we're, we're in the deep south, we're in the deep red south, and we've been able to put out some very progressive ideas. Just this week, we actually cut the ribbon on our very first LEED Gold certified building here in the city. We're working with our citizens, distributing thousands of, of rain barrels, trying to work to, uh, to deal with some of these incredible climate-fueled wet weather events that we've been uh, dealing with, especially since the great floods of 2015. The thousand-year flood occurred on October 4th of 2015. I remember because it's my wife's birthday. It came after, after several weeks of, of significant rains. It's what happens when 12 trillion gallons of water falls on the Carolinas. Devastated our infrastructure. We lost uh, 19 precious lives uh, in the event. It changed the DNA of this community. Our commitment to 100% clean energy and understanding that man-made actions has an impact on storms and climate events is real. The two are inextricably intertwined. I'll tell you, my, my, my children are very excited about uh, this effort, and they believe that they can change the world. So my job is to make sure my kids 
go and do better than I did. That's what my parents taught me. Uh, my job as mayor is also to make sure that every single child, they also have uh, the, the very same opportunities that my children have to inherit a world that's prayerfully worth inheriting. Further south in Florida, there are other public servants with family in mind. Representative Amy Mercado and Senator Victor Torres share more than political ambition. We're father-daughter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the first uh, father-daughter Latino in the history of Florida, Puerto Rican heritage. So we're, we're proud of that. We've been a fairly active family my entire life. I was raised in New York City. Um, he was a police officer in New York. My mom was a police officer in New York. Um, so as far as working for the public, that's how I was raised. So in Florida, it feels and it seems like as the years progress, the storms get bigger and bigger and stronger. So Harvey made it to Texas, Irma hit Florida, and Irma shifted almost by the hour. So what we were preparing for was at that point, the worst before it struck Florida, and it veered west. Had it gone straight up the center like the last projection was, it would have been incredibly devastating for the state. And I'm not sure that the state is prepared for something like that, even though we did what we could collectively. Had had Maria hit Florida, we would have been in a very different discussion. Post-Maria, it's been eight weeks. We have over 189,000 people that have come here from the island of Puerto Rico with all kinds of needs, right? From the very basic, uh, you know, a hot meal in six weeks or eight weeks to, you know, shower to just mental health, right? Just to be able to breathe. The folks are coming here with nothing, right? It's not because they decided, oh, I'm just going to get up and go. It's so much easier in Florida. No, they have had running water, electricity or food for two months. It's desperation at this point. Well, we went to uh, Puerto Rico after uh, Maria hit. I got to see my uncle down there and in Ponce, and uh, the first words from him was, uh, be thing, we have no water, we have no food, we have no power. Uh, cried in his shoulders, you know, Amy was there. And there was this one house, and I actually have a photo of it. Now, the house is practically completely destroyed, but there's a flag that's flying on the house. And when I look, I'm thinking I'm going to see the Puerto Rican flag, right? Because I'm in Puerto Rico, and that's the, it's the stars and stripes. It's the American flag that's flying there because they're just as proud of being Americans as they are as being island-born and being Puerto Rican. You know, I served in the Marine Corps. I got back from boot camp, and I said to my mom, Mom, I'm going to Puerto Rico. I'm going to see Grandma. I'm going to see my uncles. And all those uncles and everybody, they all served in the military. They all were veterans, you know, and my grandfather. So, you know, I want them to be proud of me. You know, I was proud of them. What are we asking now? We had your back, United States. We shouldn't have to ask you to have our backs. You should be there. You know, how do we feel being the first Puerto Rican father-daughter or the first Hispanic father-daughter, there's a sense of pride, of course, but there's a sense of responsibility behind that because we're one of few of the folks that actually look like our communities. Um, that resilience and that drive and that fight and you know that New Yorker in us as well, right? You pepper all those things together and here we are. <laughs> and we'll figure out where we need to be. It might not be perfect, it might not be pretty, but we're gonna get there and we'll get there together. And for us, for me, it's very important as a family. 
To hear more from the people in this episode and to hear other stories about moving from coal to clean energy, go to sc.org stories. To take action, you can go to addup.org and see the latest ways to make a difference. I'm Marianne Hitt, and this is The Land I Trust. Original music in this episode by Lee Rosevere and Komiku. Special thanks to Gil Willis, Caroline Hansley, Donna Chavis, Bill Price, Shane Levy, and Kirk Bowers. This episode was produced by Josephine Holtzman and Isaac Kestenbaum, with Jeff Shaw and Chelsea Watson.